just disappear? You're not here. I am. I was. Allery, we can't have you in here. We just can't. Why are you doing this? It's just something I need to do. Hey, everybody. Welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Uh, today, I have Robert Jury, the writer and director of Working Man. Not the working man. It's working man. I'm saying that in my best David Lynch voice I can do. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Robert, thanks so much for taking your time to, uh, to do this, uh, especially now, uh, you know, uh, I guess we have a lot of time to ourselves these days. Um, so uh, I guess the first thing, like when I saw this movie that kind of like struck my mind was like, did you have a lot of experience with sort of like the factory slash working class life? Because I briefly read you were from Iowa or something like that. And maybe that had a childhood connection to that. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm still an Iowan. Um, I, I live in Iowa City, but I grew up uh, very tiny, uh, next to very tiny um, uh, river towns along the Des Moines River and Mississippi River, tiny factory towns. So uh, my personal relationship with with that culture, those people, um, very familiar. So ho hopefully that comes through in, in the movie. Oh, it did. I did. It seemed like it was something that kind of uh, came from a personal place. I mean, it, it's funny, like when I'm watching this and probably a lot of folks have brought this up, like you kind of fell into the zeitgeist realm in terms of a lot of people who are now out of work who are, you know, uh, working class individuals, a lot of factories are shutting down in America. Uh, what, what was that like? Like your movie comes out and now all of a sudden it's so relevant. Uh, what's that been like distributing the, the movie sort of following these conditions? Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it on the head. It's there. No one can ever, no one could have ever predicted that, that we'd be in this, this time and place. Certainly when we were, when I wrote the script, which was over 10 years ago, was the first draft uh, for Working Man. But um, even as we were shooting, uh, it's, it was a movie we felt like was timely, but nothing like the, the, the relevancy that we're experiencing right now, right? With so many people unemployed um, that, uh, you can't explain it sometimes. It's just, um, it, it seems to be a, a story that's maybe more poignant now than, well, certainly when I wrote it, but uh, I, I think a lot of people can certainly relate to, to the themes and, and uh, the characters that they'll see in the film. Yeah. What did you guys uh, film the movie? We saw it, we, where did we shoot it? Uh, when? Uh, I don't, you guys shot it in Chicago, I believe, right? We did. We did. And we shot it in 2018 in Chicago, 20 days uh, was all we had for a production schedule. Uh, 19 of those were in Chicago and the Norwich area and surrounding the factory that you see in the film was in Norwich, a factory that is now actually, you know, um, in, in just a strange set of circumstances, sad set of circumstances that fa that very factory closed in December of this past year. Um, after 70 years in production, um, they were still operational when we were there. Um, so it's just another just extreme case of coincidence, just like coronavirus and the unemployment issues that that very place where we were shooting in Norwich um, suffered the same fate. Um, but 
you know, our final day of production was down in Joliet, which of course, you, mm -hmm. you know, from the Chicago area, it's very heavy industry. And there's no place quite like it, to my mind, where you have those uh, beautiful uh, drawbridges where the grain barges come through on the uh, Des Plaines River. Um, so most of the exteriors that you see in the film um, were shot on that very last day in Joliet, uh, you know, and we, we again got very lucky because of storms that were, that were brewing in and around us. But um, yeah, a lot of, uh, just a lot of, a lot of interesting timing issues in, in our movie for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So you like filmed this two years ago and then uh, I guess like, did you guys hit the festival circuit like when uh, this was going around? Cause I believe I read that it did. So you got to see maybe a little bit of that before it, goes away i don't know we did. we did we were actually on the festival circuit a year ago in 2019 oh. um and uh, once more really lucky uh i i really feel for the filmmakers right now who were in my position a year ago about ready to go out with their movies only to have coronavirus cut that experience short um we were physically at a lot of places a year ago and got to enjoy that experience. Um, so yeah, the, the environment is, is completely changed now. And, and um, the fact that we've moved, you know, on demand um, probably levels the playing field a bit for us with regards to who might be able to access it and, and the number of people who might be interested in it because of, limitation to theaters even we were going to have a theatrical release in march but then covid um the, the cancellations of theaters because of coronavirus took away our theatrical but it also took the theatrical opportunities away from big studio movies who would otherwise be competing against a little movie like ours so it maybe has presented some opportunities for people to see our film where they otherwise may, may not have. We, would, we maybe would have been lost in the shuffle. So it, it's just really, you know, strange set of circumstances that, that put us where we are, Mike, but um, just feeling grateful to be here and, and admit everything that's happening. I mean, it's our, our nation's really at a crossroads and um, I know movies, provide a, a, a certain amount of escape and entertainment but um we, we've been we've been very lucky so far with with our experience yeah I, it's interesting that you actually bring up how more people can see the movie now because i was actually doing like an episode with a few friends of mine about the uh, future of you know the theatrical distribution and you know, I, when i was walking into it i'm just like oh my god like i i this is gonna i'm gonna be depressed at the end of this and actually we wound up being pretty optimistic because i think now with uh sort of the i think movie theaters are sort of reopened and there's like a whole theory i have how they're going to do that but that would take like 40 minutes uh but essentially uh i think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities now for movies like yours to be seen and i think when the theaters come back there probably will be opportunity for like smaller budget films to actually be released more often and sort of like the big tentpole movies that cost like a hundred million dollars to make will be made less often so i see like a bright future for that i don't know i i hope you're right i mean in my town of, of iowa city we have an amazing little 
art house cinema that I think in a lot of ways, as you're describing, is, is maybe even a model for how uh, movie going may look in the future to some degree, because they're, they're, they're offering sort of this alternative entertainment um, opportunity, right? And for people that really want to ex experience something beyond just a big splashy uh, Hollywood picture, nothing wrong with those, but um, yeah, I think that movie going experience, it's, I'm seeing that trend, right? Where you're seeing um, exhibitors have to, they're, they're trying to be a little more responsive to what their audiences want. Um, aside from just going in and watching this big, enormous screen with a lot of explosions. Um, it's it's, it's going to become, a, again, I think, a lot like maybe the way that it used to be in that it's this very communal experience. It's a nice evening out. You can get a drink, a beer, some, some food. It's just, um, I, I think you're right. I think people are really going to be hungry um, for that communal experience again. And, and as you said, it's, it may create that additional um, space for smaller movies like Working Man. Yeah. Well, that in just terms of money, you'd make so much more money if you made a movie on a smaller budget, you know, with some stars in it and you and you just release it at, in a theater where it would make 10 times the amount than if you spent like a gazillion dollars on like mm -hmm. another Avengers film. So, you know, that's a great opportunity, I think. But I was surprised I came across that. But uh, getting back uh, to the movie. Um, so w one thing is I really love the casting in the movie. Uh well, I was wondering where you, actually you uh, you found Peter because like at first I thought he was an actual factory guy, like he was that good in the role, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, this guy has a very long record of movies that he's made over the years. Yeah, I mean Peter Garrity is a, a journeyman actor that whose whose career spans decades, right? He's yeah. he just turned eighty years old uh, this past month. Uh, 80s, 80 years young, I should say, in Peter's case. Um, but, you know, it's funny, I, when I wrote this script originally a decade ago, I, I really did honestly have in my mind, I, I didn't have Peter necessarily in my mind, but I did think that whoever uh, this person was that, that played our working man was, would be someone that had probably had a long, you know, lengthy and uh, a varied career in, in TV, film, and for whatever reason, I kind of thought theater as well. And Peter has all that. I mean, he started with, uh, with Trinity Rep out in Providence, Rhode Island. He acted with Richard Jenkins in, in his early days out there and uh, performed on Broadway. And as you mentioned, he was, you know, he's done a lot of television, The Wire. Uh, Ray Donovan most recently, um, Sneaky Pete on Amazon, and he's acted across and with everybody you can imagine, Tom Hanks, every director you can imagine. But this is his first starring role, I believe, at least in a feature film in all of his almost 100 credits, right, for TV mm -hmm. and film. So it's, it's long overdue as far as I'm concerned. Um, an actor like Peter is, was just waiting for an opportunity and i'm feel grateful that we were the the film that gave it to him 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the rest of the cast is great, too. Uh, Billy Brown as Walter was really good. I really liked, actually, how you treated, like, mental illness in terms of his character without giving too much away, where it doesn't feel, like, judgmental, like, oh, he's crazy. Like, we actually get that, you know, it, it's something that you could see someone having, and it's not in this sort of, uh, it's not through, like, sort of a judgy lens in a way. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. But that that also comes from personal experiences in a similar similar way that, that I was able to relate to factory towns and know what those places looked and felt like. Um, because of my experience with, with family members and people I knew um, and their challenges with, with mental health, um, a lot of that story that particular part of working man is is pulled from real life so if if it looks and feels authentic it's because it is it's and when you have actors like peter garrity and billy brown and talia shire who can humanize your words um in in such a believable and heartfelt way um you you have the opportunity to connect with some people, particularly folks um, that maybe have dealt with these issues themselves. And that to me is is the highest degree of of compliment is when we were on the festival circuit, after a screening, we'd have a little visit or a Q&A with folks there, the, the audience. And it, it happened quite a bit, honestly, where people would, would come up after a screening and, um, just they would appreciate the fact that, as you said, it was um, seemed a very truthful and authentic uh, portrayal of mental health, mental illness issues. Particularly, you know, they'd be people who are experiencing that themselves. And um, there's, there's, as you as you see in the film, it, there's a, it's hopeful, mm -hmm. right? This is not. Um, it's it's not the criminal side of, <laughs> of of mental illness that you so often see portrayed in in movies and television. It's not an indictment of of folks who uh, deal with 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 mental health issues. So it's it's about um, management in a way and support and and again hope. So uh, I I hope that's a that's another element that that people take away from from the story in the movie yeah i mean it's interesting because especially now with everyone being locked in mental health is sort of a big thing and uh i'm just wondering how people will a sort of like return to society uh when you know a lot of this is over and go back to the regular jobs like i know i'm going back to my job pretty soon and it's in a public venue where there's a lot of people and it's kind of brought up some anxiety for me and I'm just wondering like for like maybe a lot of factory workers and stuff like that like what's their future gonna look like you know particularly yeah I mean we've if, if you've been seeing the news in my home state of Iowa it's it's a real concern right a lot of these meatpacking plants factory work which oh, yeah. factory working environment where these people are shoulder to shoulder um, and you've had serious cases of, of uh, coronavirus outbreak. And, and I have to say, there's probably other factories where that type of work is also done in close proximity. Um, 
as a society, as industry, we really are going to have to reimagine how things are things move forward. Um, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, we we actually uh, our our team has a call uh, later this week with a with a manufacturing um, organization who's really interested in what we're saying in our film about unemployment and joblessness and. Um, but also they seem keenly aware of, of those challenges, right? Of how people go back to work and, and the stress, as you mentioned, the, the, uh, the mental challenge that a lot of people are going to face and how do we do this? How do we move forward without a vaccine, without, without known treatment? How can we do this safely? So a lot of things to combat and tackle in the, in the weeks and months to come. Oh yeah, I mean, especially just like it, it kind of feels like someone crawling out of a bomb shelter after the apocalypse. Like, True. what's what's uh, what's what's the world going to be like? Uh, but I think probably in a way we'll be a safer, more uh, mentally aware place. Um, actually, what one thing I really uh, another thing I liked to, in your film was uh, was your cinematography. Uh, I believe your DP uh, his name was Pierre Basso, uh, an Italian guy. Uh, I, I, I really liked the color palette to it, but I don't want to talk too much about what I thought about it. Cause then I'd be like one of those questions where you just babble on about what you thought about it. And then you go like, was that intentional? You know? <laughs> so like, uh, I, I just want to know, like, how did you develop the visual process of the picture? Well, you're, you're right uh, about Piero Basso and uh, as our DP and, and um, really doing a beautiful job, I think, capturing that authenticity and that look and the feel of, of a factory in a factory town. Um, Piero, uh, from the moment that I saw his earlier work, like on his reel, right, um, before we had even met or talked on the phone, um, you just, or at least I got a real sense that, and maybe it's because he, he grew up in this, this school of Italian filmmaking, but he, you could instantly tell he was, he was most concerned about capturing real and true images, right? And not being particularly precious with, perfect and soft lighting or this, that, and the other. He very, um, not that he doesn't care about lighting, he, he intensely cares about lighting, but how, how is it most real and how are we not going to be distracted by it? Um, he also, uh, coming from a, a, an Italian background, he's a type of guy that is, is not fussy and about, um, he understands the time constraints of budgets, right? And the the necessity to maybe work quickly based on what you have in your day, right? You can burn a ton of time lighting a set. Um, and he so, uh, so perfectly sort of uh, balance, created a balance between what can we get visually and what do we... <laughs> what do we physically have the time to do? I mean, from, a, from a, a, just a practical standpoint, right? What can we do here? What is the best possible way we can do this? And, and, and uh, fortunately, it's also the sort of movie that 
it calls for natural light. And he was, um, I, I don't know if it's too much to say a master at it. I would call him maestro. I still call him maestro. You can use uh, master. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I think everybody once, once Pierre stepped on set, everybody had a very clear understanding. All the crew did that we were all in very good hands, despite their trepidation over their director as a first timer, which I was. Um, I, I think each and every person on that set had a great amount of respect almost immediately for what per Piero could bring and, and what he could deliver. Yeah, I, it had this sort of neorealist feel where I, I'm not sure if everyone there was an actor like in the factory or if you mixed in some real factory workers and it was filmed, as you said, in an actual factory as well uh, uh, along this actual small town. But it actually felt like, you know, you, you weren't just throwing up some set or something like that you know <laughs> like it, it had a very authentic uh, uh quality to it and yeah it, it was a real factory i mean as i said it's and those workers there were some of the folks in the background that were indeed um uh folks who were employed at the factory but uh you know we had we cast everybody else out of chicago aside from our three leads so you know, I think those folks had a pretty clear understanding as well as what this this place should look and feel like being Midwesterners, right? That's if if they didn't have a personal experience in or around a factory, I, you can just about guess that they had a family member or someone they knew at some point in their life who had a connection to to blue collar and, and industrial America. <laughs> That's not how you use that machine. They're saying that and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what was uh, what was it like directing? How was it like directing your uh, first film? Like, especially like within three weeks, that's like breakneck pace. I, well, being your first movie, I I didn't know anything else. And so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just you just put your head down and go. It was no. I think it went honestly about as as well as it. Uh, as I could have ever expected better, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the people around me, I, I have really good producing partners, um, three Californians, uh, Clark Peterson, Lovell Holder, and Maya Mel. They're, you know, the people who you get in the foxhole with, that determines your experience, um, cast and crew. And if, you can't you can't have too many bad apples <laughs> you know, yeah. have a great experience and those who are closest to you and that i still work with you know those producers so it's um on a on sometimes on a daily basis or several times a day so um i was really blessed honestly as, as a first timer i i know other filmmakers aren't as lucky so i i was uh i'm incredibly grateful truly yeah, it seems like a very authentic piece of work where everyone sort of operated within a family type of unit. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't like a Transformers sort of situation that I went through. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I hear that. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, everyone knows about Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> and there goes my work in Hollywood. Uh, no. uh, so uh, I actually liked uh, your score too, uh, David Gonzalez's score. It, it felt it it wasn't too uppity 
and but but it was just uplifting enough and it kind of had this nice sort of click track value where it was matching along to the sounds of the gears of a factory but none of it was just too on the nose it just seemed to just get the tempo right yeah well i again i fully agree with your assessment this is david is um not just um a great composer um but again a, a fantastic collaborator. I, I didn't know David before this film and he kind of came on pretty late, to be honest. Um, we were introduced to him. He, he works closely uh, with, with a composer named John Swihart, who a lot of folks would know as the composer of Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> um, and he had done a score with, with Clark Peterson on another movie they had done, my producing partner, Clark. And uh, John had recommended David. And so we started working together, uh, David with myself and, and um, in particular, my producing partner, Level Holder. And we, on a daily basis, started working on that, that score. Um, I say we, David had mm -hmm. to do all hard work. I mean, he's the one composing. But the thing that I found really interesting about that relationship was how much I felt like I could relate most to what David did um, almost more than anybody else in the entire production because what David had to do was build something completely from whole, whole cloth. I mean, original. And it's a lot like what a writer does. I mean, he's writing, right? There's only, and while I could say, well, maybe we can make it a little more lighthearted here, David, or what if it's, the, you know, I could throw out ideas, but I can't, I can't help him write the music, right? It's, that's all on him. And um, that's an enormous uh, um, creative challenge, I feel like. And for the amount of time, again, it, it was a very short amount of time that we were given even in post to, to, to edit and, and for David to create this score, it's, you sometimes just get really lucky with the people you end up in that foxhole with, right? And David was just another example of that. And, and I'm, I'm glad you, you enjoyed his, his score. Cause, and I agree with you. I just, I, I think it's, it pairs really beautifully with the story. How long did he have to write it? Cause you said he came in at like the last minute, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I, I want to say it was less than a month. It's, oh, wow. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. He had, um, he had went to Berkeley, a college of music in Boston, and um, while he had graduated from there a number of years ago, he had a contact there that had created a, a program, a computer program, whereby in real time, he and I could kind of communicate and see what he was developing, um, which helped ex which helped to expedite our relationship and the the or the the, the score, right? Um, and we could. David is just an exceptional collaborator, right? You had it's uh, that's special, and the the fact that we had this technology where he's in Los Angeles and I'm here in the Midwest, and we could still quickly communicate and I could see and hear what he was doing. Um, we just got there a lot quicker, I think, to, to places. And again, it's that, that collaboration, but uh, 
great, great experience and, and grateful to David for all his good work. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can do online. I mean, I think like way back, I was watching a behind the scenes video of like one of the Star Wars prequels, and like Lucas was doing the same thing where he was like Skyping with the visual effects guys. Right. Awesome. There was like, man, and now, you know, everyone's Skyping. Uh, hopefully the internet can handle all the bandwidth, you know? <laughs> right. We're a part of it right now. Exactly. Yeah. We're part of the problem. No. <laughs> uh, so I guess now that we're like kind of inside now, like on the note of, you know, Skyping everything, like, how do you think, I think there's a lot of space for creativity. Like, how do you think people can make movies now as we're inside, you know, aside or, or not even movies, just anything creative aside from just like making TikTok videos and, you know, let's plays. Boy, that's a great question. Um, I'm asking myself that <laughs> as far as, I, I don't know how we make traditional movies moving forward um, until we have some medical solutions. And, and quite truthfully, I think we are, we're at a place right now as a country with, since the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. and, you know, our, our, the social questions that are being raised, I think it's okay we take a, a good long pause right now. Yeah. and, and um, reflect as a country, start to maybe reconsider um, who we are, not just as storytellers, but as Americans. I know, you know, even within Working Man, um, we all have blind spots, right? And uh, I, I was talking to another um, uh, reporter here, last week and she had just seen the movie and this was right after uh you know most of the the protests had started and she said you know near the end of the film i'm not going to give anything away but there's a moment where um there's some interaction with law enforcement um and peter garrity's character and it's with regards to billy brown's character and for those people People who don't know, Billy Brown is an, is, is an African-American actor. Um, and she said to me that this reporter said, you know, that that moment, it reminded me so much of, of what it means, like the danger that, that, uh, that Billy Brown's character could, could potentially be in just because he's, he's a black male. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be truthful. I, in writing that script originally, and even when we shot it, the circumstances you'll see are are not about are not racially motivated. It's uh, and if you recall your the, the point in the movie, it's it's more about his behavior, right, yeah. and and mental health and so forth. Um, it had not occurred to me that he might be in a different position because of his race. Um, just, would he be in a different position than say? Uh, Peter or a, or a, or an actor who's who's white, so that's what I mean by I think just having this time to to reflect a bit, um, take a pause. I know this is going way off topic of what you no, asked. No, no, I, I please. I feel going. like it is sort of important that that um, everybody's I think so anxious to to create, get back to work, and all that is is very important. But I just I also. Uh, feel strongly that 
we just need to do a, do a little better job about our, our um, taking care of our own business and, and taking care of our, our taking care of other uh, others and, and, and in our communities and, and um, treating people how we'd want to be treated. I guess I'll get off my soapbox, but. No, uh, no, I actually really like where you're going with this. Yeah, it's, it just, um, the, there will be time and we'll, we'll discover a way forward. I have no doubt. People are probably already doing it who are a lot smarter than I am as far as how to produce content and so forth. I can just speak for myself that while I have ideas that I'd like to pursue and uh, we all want to see our, our pet projects get done. I think it's just maybe a, a good time to, to stop and evaluate where we are as a country and a world. Yeah, I think it's, I actually totally agree. I think it's a good time to hit the pause button right. and really see what we're making. If it's um, accurate, if it's speaking to other people, I like, I know I wanted to do an episode about, you know, like race inequality and film and all and all that stuff. And then I just thought, well, like, what am I going to say? I'm just some white guy from, you know, who was from the suburbs of Chicago. Like maybe I should, it's time for me to listen to someone else, you know, before I even tackle something like that. And then, you know, in terms of making movies, yeah, I think, I think we definitely need to sort of reevaluate how we portray certain characters. Uh, I mean, we have like actors like John Boyega. I don't go back to Star Wars because I'm like a huge nerd. Uh, but like, all uh, fair, yeah. He he was. I don't know if you saw like recently. Like he was uh, protesting like on the streets, and he was saying like, "This might ruin my career, but if it does, fuck it, I don't care." Yeah. And I, and like everyone backed him, and that was awesome. And like he was far more of a hero in real life than his character was where they did nothing with him at all, you know? So like, I, I think this is a good time for us to really uh, take a moment to really see the kind of works that we're making. But yeah, uh, I guess, I guess to uh, uh, what, one thing I was wondering when I saw your movie to sort of switch topics from, you know, our, our moral uh, podiums is uh, uh I don't know why, but it kind of reminded me of like sort of like New Hollywood a bit about working class individuals. Like it reminded me of a movie called Scarecrows with Al Pacino and Gene Hackman way back. And it reminded me a tiny bit of Five Easy Pieces. I, I don't know why, but I guess it was about like people who chose to work, you know, uh, a sort of like a, a job that isn't exactly flattering but it gave them a sense of pride. And when it came to uh, Allery, he, he seemed to work to sort of distract his mind from uh, certain things that bothered him without giving uh, anything away. Um, I guess, uh, what, what kind of movies about, about uh, working class individuals inspired you? Or, do you or, or have you like looked into those type of movies? You know, um, it, I, I can't say that, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the European films or the, a movie like Norma Ray or these, uh, or particular movies of, about the triumph of labor were the, were the inspiration necessarily. It, for me, it was always about, I'm always first and foremost interested in, in people and 
characters and motivation, right? And again, because of my background, where I grew up, I, I had a pretty strong sense that um, I might be able to uh, create, create that world in a, in a believable context, right? Uh, but it was never really my intent to um, necessarily make a, a factory movie or even a, a, a movie that's, that was um, in that genre of, of blue collar films. It, it, to me, it just a, a character like the one that Peter Garrity portrays, our working man, someone who is so committed to this this cause, um, and for reasons that we learned throughout the story, that to me was the biggest motivation. And I, you know, it, I've been asked that question before about whether there, there's certain movies. I do think the the first film that the, that was uh, an influence of sorts sorts was um, the Straight Story. Mm -hmm. Remember that David Lynch film? Oh yeah. It's I I, I seem to be I, I feel like most. It, and I've heard uh, my my old screenwriting mentor Meg Lafoe, um from the Film Independent Labs, uh, which part, Working Man was a part of. Um, she would talk about thematics, right, or things that are, resonate and seem to be a part of actors, writers, directors, things that we're all drawn to, right. And for me, that thematic has always been these these kind of outsider characters who are in some context uh sort of perceived as a little bit screwball or going against the grain um that people think are just a little bit off <laughs> <laughs> but we ultimately learn what is the motivation behind what those folks are doing right and that it's there's there's something very human there about their motivation and why they're doing it. So yes, I totally, um, while on one hand, I, I completely uh, relate to what's going on in, in the manufacturing sector in our country and, and those, those types of people, because I, you know, I, I know them so well, having grown up with so many people and my friends and family who did these types of jobs. To me, it was first and foremost about, um, who these people were, right? Who this main character is, what's his family life like? Who are the people around him? What are they like? Um, I, th I think, at least for me, that's, that's where a, a good movie has to start. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess, uh, uh, I guess uh, why do you, do you think, why do you think people want to work so bad? Like, uh, I mean, there's certain reasons within the story that Allery did. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to give that away, you know, as a spoiler. Uh, but <laughs> what do you think it, it is within the American spirit that, that makes us yearn for work? Uh, you know, because it seems like we're far more addicted to it than the rest of the world in a way. Yeah, and maybe not in a healthy sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in some regard. It's, and it's true. I think some of us need it more than others. And I, I think without giving our story away at all, it's you learn about the character in Working Man that he really needs work as, as an escape, 
um, he, it's, while it is, a, there is of course a certain amount of pride that he takes in what he does. And certainly that's true of the people who are working around him. For he, for him personally, it's about um, trying to avoid uh, personal issues that are, that are uh, otherwise damaging psychologically. So, and as far as, you know, why we as a, a country, as a people, why we're, we're so, um, why it's so necessary to get back out. I, I think we just long as Americans to, we like being with one another, right? I mean, it's as, as much as we're addicted to our phones and our devices and everything else, it's, uh, we just, I, I think we're, we're really anxious to go out and, and not just work, but socially engage, right? That's, that's to me also the, while not the primary factor, I think it's certainly a factor why you see so many people out in the streets now. I mean, we just, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's sort of pandemic be damned in some respects. It's mm -hmm. this desire to be out and doing, right? We are, we are a people where uh, uh, the human race, I think, just has this desire to do, right, overwhelmingly. And um, particularly when you're, you're from a country like the United States, where it's born out of very ambitious people who came here, right? It's, you, you, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a population that's, that's driven in a lot of respects. So, um, I, I, I think, again, folks were, may, may relate to this most because of their desire to get back out there and, and, and work again and, and to engage with fellow humans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the human being is a social animal. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I, get, I always like to end on a light note. Uh, do you, I have a, a, what is your favorite guilty pleasure movie? Mine, is, mine are the Jackass films, which aren't even films. You know, they're just home videos of people like kicking each other in the nuts and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. absolutely a place for that. Um, yeah. My boy, biggest guilty pleasure. Um, I guess if if pressed, I don't I don't know how much of a guilty pleasure it is. It's just a pleasure. I I love the movie Caddyshack. Oh yeah, That's right. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I don't know how much of a guilty pleasure that is. It's it seems I I think it's a great movie, and you know it's it's a movie that's also populated by a lot of great Chicago, yeah, Chicago-born actors in that outfit. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's the best example of a guilty pleasure, but I, I think but, it counts. It's like a lowbrow comedy, you know, <laughs> bit yeah, but it's it's certainly one of those that if I just happen to be walking by. TV and it's on, uh, I can stop at any moment in that movie and just enjoy myself. I've seen it dozens of times. But <laughs> yeah, ab absolute pleasure too. It's, yeah, I, it's always like a perfect movie to kick off the summer with. Plus, you know, golfing is a great social distancing sport. And <laughs> no, but mine was always like the spiritual successor to that, which is Happy Gilmore. Uh, I could <laughs> qu quote that movie every day. You're going to die, clown. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, on that note, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can we find your movie? I think we can find it on YouTube. We can rent it there. 
and then yeah where else? yeah well it's it's on demand everywhere uh, at this point and and available on dvd as of this month uh but on demand you can you can see it uh on i itunes uh you know apple tv prime video which of course is the 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 on-demand branch of of amazon um fandango now google play youtube um voodoo yeah any number of most most major platforms and as i say it's also now available on dvd so excited for people to see it and find us um, yeah. hope, hope they find working man yeah so guys you don't have an excuse for not seeing it it's like you can rent it for like really cheap I can get it on Prime Video now for like four bucks. All right. Uh, so really, go check it out. Go buy it. It's it really is a movie that'll connect to you. Uh, Robert Jury, writer and director of Working Man. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, and this is last minute. And I, I'm glad that you uh, did this uh, on, on such a whim. <laughs> no, this this was fun. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate the conversation, Mike. This has been great. Anytime, buddy. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this is, you'll probably agree, you can catch us at ypareviews.com, where our YouTube podcast and written reviews are all on there. Okay, guys, have a great one and stay safe. You really started something here, this statement of yours. I'm not making any statement, but you are. thing is a person needs a job to survive but you need work to feel like you're worth something